Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Purple Hats Fireside Chat on Purple Teaming. With us today is Gabe Lawrence and Ben Opal. Gabe, tell us a little bit about yourself real quick. Great. Thanks, Alan. I'm Gabe Lawrence. I am the General Manager of Cybersecurity Protection at Toyota Motor North America. It means I'm responsible for all of the technical side of the cybersecurity problem, covering both enterprise and manufacturing. Ben, how about you? Hey, Alan. Uh, so I'm a senior director for customer success with Attack IQ, uh, and my job is basically post-sales enablement. And uh, I mean, kind of like consulting, we make sure that uh, anyone who does join us as a customer has all the knowledge and resources they need to enable uh, breach and attack simulation and security optimization as a practice in their organization. All right. And for those who don't know me, I'm the host of the Cyber Ranch podcast, and I'm going to walk uh, Gabe and Ben through a series of questions about purple teaming. Why don't we dive in and get started? So, Gabe, I'll start with you. Um, when we say purple teaming, we're talking about more than just red plus blue. What's the difference between purple teaming uh, and red plus blue? Yeah, so from my perspective, it's it's really about an extremely tight integration between the different groups. So it's not red does something and then blue tries to find it. It's that they work together in the same room on a problem um, and feed off of each other as they move through. So the the traditionally red folks will maybe try and attack something and then shift over and look at the traditionally blue team side as they're looking for logs and things like that. And they can collaborate on figuring out detections, uh, new strategies, and what they should be looking for. So extremely interactive in the same room, basically. I like it. Ben, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think what Gabriel told just told us is is very very accurate, right? Now, you're, what you're trying to do is build a pipeline um, between uh, adversarial effects, you know, obviously the simulated ones, uh, and detection capabilities, right? Effects to effects, um, and that's the whole idea of purple teaming. It's forging the linkage between the people who generally do the testing, the people who generally do the, the monitoring. Um, that's just in the broadest term, in the broadest sense. I agree with that completely. I mean, you can't write a good, you can't do good detection engineering if you don't have artifacts to base it off of. I like that. So, Gabe, we had talked earlier about the notion of proof of work in purple teaming. Uh, what does what does that mean in the context of purple teaming, and what are its implications? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the key things you want to get out of the exercises is that set of what did you do, what worked. What didn't work? Uh, what kinds of things are you going to take from that for the next step? Um, and package that up at the end uh, and use that to track going forward. Um, what are the things that you've, you've tested? What are the things you haven't tested? What, what uh, controls need that improvement? Um, and then, you know, fundamentally, you want to sort of use that as well to go back and make sure that the things that were working stay working. I like that. There's a there's a hidden word in your answer there of efficacy. Um, and, and Ben, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to propose and you tell me what you think of this is the goal of purple teaming ultimately about improving the efficacy of your tech stack, your program. Like how far does that that efficacy notion extend? Keep asking me easy questions. This is going to be a very short fireside chat. Alan. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the idea. Uh, that's the, 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 the genesis of the methodology was in people seeing that there was very little we were gaining in terms of efficacy. Um, we were neither effective nor efficient, to, to steal a phrase, when we were you know, utilizing red teams the way that we were. 
uh, and keeping our blue teams siloed off from the testing, uh, from the actual uh, anything beyond the actual intent or actions of an adversary, right? You know, the, the aftermath, the recovery, like, oh, we found something bad. I wonder what happened, right? We're, now, we're actually trying to see where we can stand before that happens. And that's really, I mean, there's a general need in the community for proactivity. And I really think this is kind of what emerged from that. Effort. You know, we need something that's effective. I like that. So, so Gabe, when we talk about efficacy and we talk about, you know, evaluating the tech stack, uh, Baz, I'm assuming, breach and attack simulation has a critical role here. And I'm going to let you answer this one, not Ben. Um, <laughs> what do you think the role of Baz is in purple teaming? Yeah, I mean, I think that can be the great platform that you build some of these tests on top of, right? So. You know, there's there's test driven development out there, right, where you write the tests and then you write the code. This is can be a platform you can do sort of test driven cybersecurity, right, where you start specifying what controls and protections do you want to have in place? What kinds of attacks are you worried about? Then you can put them into one of these platforms, see which ones you're winning on and which ones you're losing on. And then use that platform to track over time uh, the improvement in your environment from a technology place and then kick it into automation where it's continually running. So next week, maybe someone goes and makes some IT change and maybe that undoes one of my security controls. Well, because I'm building it on one of these uh, breach attack platforms and we're at, uh, it's no secret we're an, an attack ITQ customer. So this is how, what we use to do that. Um, that we can see this change happen in their console and reporting. We can trigger an alert to our SOC or our CFC and have them respond and and go and figure out why did this control break and and keep kind of a constant level of of cybersecurity controls. I like that. So Ben, tell me more about how Baz can be useful. Um, it, it's it's obviously you know, and and I'll I'll throw this piece out too. Gabe alludes to automation and and to me anytime you can automate you're you're saving real you know human cycles but i think baz is a little more integrated and a little more than just a typical automation solution what's your what's your take on that i think we have to ask the question of what we're willing to automate right that's one of the biggest questions of the time of, of the age you know what are what are we willing to put uh behind the wheel of you know of something that's not that's not you know doesn't have a meat brain I personally can't answer that question outside of I am now I am now willing to automate red teaming, quote unquote. I'm well I'm willing to automate breach and attack simulation because I've seen what it can do. I understand that it's effective. I understand that it's safe. Um, I think from a perspective of what you can and should automate, um, you know, let's just take it from, let's just take it from from Bass. Um, what we're not just talking about it doing is automating the you know the st the stimulation of the environment, right? That's just a the necessary means by which it happens. Uh, what we're automating is the actual, the, the ability to test and prove programs and people, right? We are automating an, an assessment of what you've installed and not just from a technological perspective. You have created and installed program guides for how you're going to do business in your organizations. You have created and installed procedures for how certain incidents are handled. You have created and installed training programs for people you know, inside the organization for, for you know, who, who gets it doesn't really matter, but what we're able to test now are the actual, is the efficacy of things that are just beyond technology when you look at what you can do from a scope and scale perspective. You know, when I talk about scope and scale, you know, we're taking humans out of the loop, but we're not taking humans out of the loop. We're making humans more effective. We're letting red teamers use those big, beautiful, diabolical brains of theirs to get after the big problems and think about things in a campaign scale. Um, we're giving them the ability to actually 
fine tune their testing and get after more than they could in another circumstance and actually start approaching those bigger problems of, you know, how well are we preparing our people and our processes, you know, and not just our technology. So, yes. Yeah, you mentioned scope there, and that makes me think of the traditional red and blue teaming scopes. And and one of the problems that I think with red and blue is that the scope is often very large and very broad, right? And the results are often too much for an organization to meaningfully ingest. You just kind of willy-nilly aim your red teaming at a giant chunk of the estate, and you get back this pile of information, and your blue team is scrambling now to ingest and onboard and even deal with what they've found. So how can purple teaming solve that scoping problem, Gabe? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, in a traditional red team kind of assessment, it's very broad. You go in whatever direction you can to get in. You have, may have some focused goal, but any any means to get all the way through that. In the in a purple team situation, um, you're sitting back and you're looking at, you know, what are the things that I want to test? What are what's the important new trends going on that I want to make sure is protected? At the same time, I want to understand how did my existing controls um, re respond to that kind of attack? And then how can I adapt those? And you work together with that blue and red focusing there at the same time. So they're able to play off each other as you go. Um, and so that, you, you know, you tend to focus that scope down on a specific problem in the purple team space rather than. Can, can I get in? Can I steal this data from that company? Instead, it's will this tactic work? And will this variant of that tactic work? Or will that tactic work in this part of my network? Or will it work in that part? And so you're really getting a deeper dive into a specific thing. And there's that feedback where blue detects maybe some part of the first piece. Then red says, hey, but I think there's another way I can go about doing this. And then you find the place that you had that blind spot. Now you're working together to figure out how do I close that blind spot. And you'll find we did a we did a DLP uh, purple team a couple of weeks ago, and it was a second. We've talked, I think, on on the last podcast, we talked a little bit about this that we did together before, Alan. So you remember that we've done, gone back now and focused it. And they found about 17 different ways they were going about stuff built out a matrix and said, there are these two areas that we still have a gap in. And so now we have work going on to close those two gaps, but the rest of the thing was covered. And so we've got this really great artifact and it was from the, the back and forth between the, the two teams that we were able to get to this place where there were a whole bunch of different tactics tested. And we now have a very good understanding of both the, the positive controls we have in place and the, the opportunities for, for addressing. That sounds like a fantastic proof of concept for that, that scoping idea. Um, and, and, and it ties into, I guess, there's, there's another benefit here, which is continuous output. Uh, I, think, I think the classic red versus blue, it's not so much about output as much as a giant <laughs> load of information thrown over the fence, right? It, it's, not, um, it, it's not a stream that can be managed and, and dealt with. How does the purple side give us continuous output? Ben, you want to tackle that one? Yeah. So the thing I like about purple methodology uh, in terms of how we do get into kind of a continuous cycle of output is how it engages the both the kind of the curiosity and the paranoia, um, like the good kind of, I think it's called hypervigilance in, um, 
in InfoSec personnel, at least the good ones, because as you pull the right people into the same room, people like red teamers and blue teamers, they start to understand the both the before and after of what they do and what and what's involved in the analytic processes and how the whole thing works, right? You know, a red teamer is going to start to understand more about the actual layout of the company's defenses. Uh, they're going to understand more about how the technologies function, you know, the same, same way on the other side. But what you're going to start seeing is when you start doing these really focused executions, um, like, uh, like Gabriel was just talking about going into DLP and just getting, just getting elbow deep, getting dirty, uh, and figure out everything there is to figure out about how this DLP is working. You understand the scope of your problem set far better. Um, you start to understand the nuances that go into how it all works and how it does or does not protect you in the event, the inevitable event that you get attacked. Um, so the continual output piece of that is because once you see how big the problem set can be, if you're the right kind of practitioner, you're going to be thinking about what it would look like if you did that against another piece of technology, what it would look like if you did that in another piece of your architecture. And that's, and you start laying out a continuous testing program, a testing program for that. It really does cover your entire architecture because you start to see how things can, how the configurations can drift from, you know, one day to the next, as Gabriel just said. Um, and um, among other things, but I think it really when you put people in the same room and you understand how things are working on both sides of the equation, you understand the problem set in a far more uh, fulsome fashion. And that's what, and that drives you to produce continuous output. I like it. So it's not just about continuous output. What you're really saying here too, is that you've got more focused execution. And I think this, this goes back to what Gabe was saying about let's target DLP this cycle. Uh, what's your take on that focused execution piece that, that purple teaming offers us that, that red plus blue really doesn't give us. Well, I think it's a wonderful thing, right? And it does go back into how people start understanding the actual functionality of their tools. Um, you know, when I teach this stuff, uh, I, you know, I teach it in, uh, in three phases. You know, there's, there's threat profiling, uh, and then there's, you know, emulation planning, and there's the actual recovery piece of it, right? You know, emulation planning is really the big piece here because it's understanding how you're going to line up techniques against your actual defenses. Um, and you can't have a good emulation plan. You can't unless unless you really do see, you know, have an idea of what's going to come out of it, right? And this comes out of my background from the military, right? We write things out in these things called master scenario event lists, and it's always like event, expected result, actual result, target, all that stuff, right? You know exactly like you know exactly what you think is going to happen. You know what you're going to do, and you're waiting to see what happens because you understand what should happen, right? And so you can get very very focused in on minutia that way. But, you know, I think when you line things up like this and you have these emulation plans that really do force you to think about the right, the red, the sorry, the attacker and the defender. Um, you know, I teach these emulations plans that, to be able to d be designed in a manner, any manner of ways. Like you can do it in a full scope. You can run down the entire matter attack framework. You can run down one tactic at a time. You can run down architecture components like, you know, hey, I just want to do network. Hey, I just want to do host um, or, hey, I want to do DLP. Right. You can do it can be by control. The fact is that when you do look at it as an attacker. Um, you know, if, if you're an, if you're a defender and you try and you try to look at this problem as an attacker, you get a different perspective on it and you get actually the ability to execute in more detail than you would otherwise. So yeah, world according to Ben. Focused execution. I love it. Gabe, anything to add to that focused execution idea? Yeah. And I, I, I think it's interesting, right? So it goes back to, you know, what Ben's talking about now, but also what he was talking about earlier with understanding the efficacy of your your technologies, there's another piece that happens within that with what he's talking about, where because you have that tight integration of of the red skill sets and the blue skill sets working together at the same time, you may end up, you know, maybe you go through the whole thing and your your controls work. But somewhere along the line, there's that point where someone in there 
says I, that wasn't what I expected to see, or I didn't, I, you know, I didn't realize it worked that way. And that's a huge benefit as well, because, you know, suddenly now you're, you've got the two different skill sets training each other up. You've, you've found a place where your staff is learning and developing. Um, and so there's, you know, we've been talking a lot about the technology side of this, but there's also the people side, which is um, you're going to be a stronger attacker. If you understand how defenders work, you're going to be a stronger defender. If you understand how attackers work and working together and seeing the tool sets go really, really has a, a huge advantage in making both your team and your technologies more effective. I love it. I'm going to soapbox because you just talked about what makes good attackers and defenders, but I'll just, no, sorry, Alan, go ahead. Um, no, you go. If you're not already a good sysadmin, don't think you can be a good attacker. Just go ahead and take that for what it's worth <laughs> or defender. Right. Anyways. True. Yep. No, that's, that's sound advice. And I, you know, micro purple teaming is kind of the way I like to think of it is, is you can, you can get into the minutiae if you want to, you can, you can roll something new out. You can say, here's the new attack surface we've introduced. Let's do a purple teaming engagement around that new attack surface. You can include it in your pipeline and you can get that, that micro focus, you know, down to that level, if that's the way you want to play it, or you can step back, look at broader strokes, like, Hey, let's tackle our entire DLP scenario. Like I, that's one of the things I love about purple teaming is you can drill down to even that micro focus if you want to, where it's just like, Hey, we brought up a new app. Let's purple team the one new app, or let's purple team the, the eight new screens in the existing app, right? Depending on how fast your, uh, your pipeline flows, right? So, so that's a good segue into some of the more technical stuff. I want to get into the meat of this thing now. Instead of a high-level talk, let's talk about um, Purple Team starters, right? Some good technical starters to really kick off a good uh, Purple Teaming program. And I'm thinking specifically of Mimicats, Bloodhound, Responder. Um, Gabe, why don't you walk me through what a new Purple Team setup for Mimicats would look like? Yeah, great. So, you know, fundamentally, right, the idea here is this is a, a tool that will go ahead and extract hashes from memory can also reach out to domain controllers and do a domain sync. If you have the right pr privileges, it's one of the key uh, elements in the ransomware chain, right? You know, grab creds, move sideways, get, get privileged access, right? So something that you'd want your both detection to be strong for and um, you know, your teams both on red and blue to be extremely familiar with how the tool works. You know, what you, you know, it's got a couple of different ways to work. So you can maybe you want to just take the simple, can I see it running in my environment on a host, right? So here you're looking for is, do I have some way to see if a process is launched? Do I have things that will notice uh, different, different file accesses and things like that? Do I have a, a way to see someone using a tool in a privileged context that they don't normally use? And you know, you're gonna you're gonna customize and cater this to what you're doing. But I, I think, you know, fundamentally, right, the the blue team folks are probably not running this tool very often, if at all, and not really familiar with how, how awesome it can be as an attacker. Uh and I think the attackers may not be aware of all the different ways that you can see processes running in your environment and things that are going on. So when they sit down together and use it, um, you're going to come up with new ways of uh, instrumenting for it, right? Like maybe a very, very uh, 
you know, uh, naive mechanism might be just look for the word Mimi running anywhere in your environment, right? Oddly enough, pretty effective, to be blunt. Um, so many people don't rename any component of it. It's a difficult thing to rename, but important to rename it and do, do some of those changes if you're a real attacker. So once you've got that down, now you've got the red team thinking, all right, how do we get past the name thing? So now maybe they're, they're compiling their own version of it with uh, new, new names in it. And now you're, you're, you know, maybe you're relying on some of your behavioral analysis on your endpoints to detect this and looking at a different set of logs and just names of processes. Maybe you're moving into where did it run? What, what, you know, what directories did this come from? Is it a new, new binary? Start looking for things like that and, and going all the way through those processes. And each one of those things could actually be, you know, a couple days long purple team exercise of trying different strategies, right? So you could do Mimi Cats just that one technology for a couple of weeks. Yep. So there's, honestly, there's a good micro focus example. I love that. Ben, you got anything to add to the Mimi Cats scenario? No, I mean, I really think you make a great point there, man. Like detection engineering is a team sport. And if you're going to find out how to defend against something, you have to have a very intimate understanding of how it works, right? And what it looks like when it actually runs and how and when it would be run. All of that's critical context to people on the blue team. If you want to defend, if you want to detect it, you know, you can't just look everywhere. You, you, you sorry to get at that. It's just like, we have to focus in on what, you know, what, what's right and what's wrong, what's anomalous, you know, what, how does this fit into our baseline, our baseline, right? Because what you find online isn't always going to be true. Not for you. Yeah. Yeah. And then so, you know, like the next step, right, would be using Mimikatz to go after a domain controller and pull hashes off of that using DC sync, right? Which you're going to have to do at a, this is a point where, you know, things have already gone bad for you as an organization because they're running in an administrative context to be able to do that. But now you're factoring in a whole bunch of other disciplines that we didn't hit in the last one, right? Because it's a network queer, uh, connection. So you're not necessarily just looking at network or um, host-based logs, sorry, you can look at network logs and say, wait a minute, this machine doesn't hit domain controllers like that. Do I have some anomaly detection I can start looking at or other other ways to, to go about uh, instrumenting that? Yeah, like the whole idea of knowing what's coming and to be looking for it in a known safe context is huge. I mean, because what we're trying, instead of trying to do a retrospective on everything and try to make some inferences about what, you know, what this activity means, what this artifact means, what that packet means, um, and not really having a good time scale within which to conduct the analysis. Like any forensicator is going to understand like a big timeline is, is that's where you start. That's not where you finish and get things done. Like you got to narrow that timeline a bit and you're doing that artificially, but you know, you're producing genuine results this way when you actually are sitting there with people who are executing. They're like, I'm pressing enter now. And you're like, okay, I'm watching. Tag it, tag it. This is where I'm going to figure out how to detect this. Yeah, that. that's where the real magic happens. Yeah, because oh, yeah. right when you do that, right, suddenly there's a log that you never knew uh, was an indicator, and that pops up, and both red and blue are going to be like, "Whoa!" whoa I just saw exactly. Something. Yeah, and now we're both getting better. Like, wow, amazing mutual reinforcement. I it's like that. we were, should have been friends all along. <laughs> red plus blue makes purple. All right. So how about um, how about Bloodhound? This is while, while we're on this roll with this level of detail. How about Bloodhound? What's a good example of uh, purple teaming against Bloodhound? Oh, how about you, Gabe. OK. Or, or Ben, you uh, want to take that one? I mean, we I think can, we can wrap. I mean, I, I love Bloodhound. Really, really great tool. Um, really fun for uh, honestly, when I when I first used Bloodhound, I was like, oh, so this is how hackers. This is how they, what they think hackers do. 
right? They're like, oh, this is my way in. This is how I'm going to get in. Like, are you in sun? Yes, I'm always in. Like, I'm, what I mean, it's, it's like, this is that map of like, this is how I'm going to get here. And I'm going to, I'm going to de-encrypt the firewall and all that stuff. That's what I thought when I saw it. Cause I thought this is how it always was done. Like, of course, you've got to have a path. You got to have a map. You got to know where you're going in, in this network. So I saw that and I thought it was really cool. Then I'm like, man, how does that work? Um, and when I found out and said, okay, well, that should be detectable. And in some many cases it is, but you know, it's, it's one of those tools that, you know, for, for like, I'll get into it in a second. That's, it's easy in some cases for it to hide in the noise, uh, because it, it's, it uses Windows native stuff. I mean, for instance, I mean, I mean, so one of the things Bloodhound is going to do when, when you run, when you run an ingester is going to do a global catalog enumeration. Um, and that's going to generate a lot of traffic, a lot of, a lot of traffic across your network. And it looks specific, but only if you're looking for it, because it's a whole bunch of, uh, what is it? Uh, it, if you're not looking at the network traffic itself, I mean, you should, you could be able to look for something like EID. Is it 5153, 5156? I want to get on a Google right now, but I feel like that'd be cheating. Um, <laughs> either way, it's a whole bunch. It's a whole bunch of these because these are these, are these inter-process uh, communication uh, requests that are allowed. And that's how it's the, these RPCs are, are how this global catalog enumeration is happening. So you can look for a whole bunch of these and... There's a sigma rule for it, and I should have pulled it up. Um, but you can look specifically for things going at for these for these packets or the uh, or these event IDs with metadata tagging tagging specific destination ports, and you can look at it as a function of how many source addresses are producing this traffic. And there are pattern. There's a pattern for that. Like if there's this much traffic coming from this address going towards these ports or with these event IDs associated, then you might have somebody who's enumerating your global catalog. And there are, I mean, Gabriel, correct me if I'm wrong. I can't think of another reason to do that kind of fast global catalog enumeration unless you're doing a, running a bloodhound ingester. Yeah. It's not, it's not normal. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things where like, if you've got both teams sitting there and the red team's like, all right, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm running a blood, you know, I'm running bloodhound now. Like, you know, here's your time, here, here's your time delimiters. Um, let's see what we find. And you're going to see this and you'd be like, wait, that traffic doesn't make much sense. And that's the whole idea. Like, it, it, like much like in, in many types, in many types of science, all the most interesting things or most terrible things happen after someone said, Oh, that's interesting. That's always oh. the start. Right. And then, and then Gabriel has his, uh, his, his concept of the evil bit, right. That, that every good red teamer <laughs> and even the blue teamers should have that evil bit that they can flip and immediately start exploiting the system and thinking, what if I do it this way? Or what happens if I don't give it the inputs it's looking for or whatever, whatever it. that might be. So, so Gabe, how about responder? Let's go through another example with responder. Sure. Yeah. So responder, right, is a tool that, that finds a way to sit in between all kinds of network uh, communications and grab credentials. Uh, it's fantastic. So, it, it, you know, it has a bunch of different strategies, you know, including, uh, you know, real old school layer two kind of network shenanigans like Mac poisoning for a switch to get get your gateway to, you know, the net, and pretend to be the network gateway and get everybody to send your traffic there. That should be something that, you know, shows up as a, as a, on the blue team side, um, you know, the old is new again, right? Uh, Greetings, fellow hosts. And then, yeah. you know, it'll, it'll lie about host names. So the multicast name, name uh, resolution, it'll go out and say, Hey, I'm your WPAD host which any system that's set up to uh, automatically find a web proxy, because everyone knows if I can't browse the web, the network is down, right? So the computers work really hard to make sure you can browse the web 
and now you're in the middle again and it will go ahead and and set things up so that the client that it fools to talk through it will will go ahead and do some kind of authentication event with a crackable token um, and in fact it put some answers in there to make cracking it easier um, and and it's a fantastic little tool for doing terrible shenanigans in your environment it is also a thing that you need to be extremely careful with when you go ahead and do a, a purple team exercise here because it is doing shenanigans that will change the flow of packets in your production network um, and so, you know, you got to be careful and, and figure out how you scope it so that you don't end up breaking things. But it is extremely important to look at these controls that are in place They that, you know, by default, your your normal Windows machines will happily do a lot of communications that they shouldn't. And so by going through this tool, you're going to see uh, pretty quickly things that you can immediately harden your environment with. And also... You know, so there's some great network level uh, uh, monitoring that you can build on top of this uh, and really detect it that will make life difficult for the standard pen test people that are out there. Right. Because this has become kind of get in, run responder, get domain admin, write a report. Um, and <laughs> if you have, you have good controls yeah. in place. You're going to make those guys work a little bit harder, which is, I think, good all around. The, the Pentest 101 playbook. <laughs> all right, Ben, anything that, to that, add on Responder there? I mean, I think from a technical perspective, Gabriel really nailed it. Um, I just love the idea of putting something in place yeah, that's going to teach you more than just one thing. Like running, running... You know, emulating something that's going to teach you more than one thing. Like, look, em emulating, you know, or sorry, running responder in a safe way, you know, emulating action, actual adversary, but not being mean, right? Um, it takes a lot of pre-planning if you're going to do it right without breaking stuff and pissing everyone off. Uh, and it takes a, a, an awful lot of analysis on part of your network, network interrogation guys uh, to figure out what's going on with something like that. And that's exactly what I love about it those kind of complex tools. And that's what I love about purple teaming because you get, you have these opportunities for people to understand the really the real nuts and bolts functionality of their own network as they try to figure out why something is doing what it shouldn't do. And on the subject of things doing what they shouldn't do, love the idea of the evil bit. Um, I used to think <laughs> there's a signature for somebody I worked with. <laughs> there's an old RFC that, you know, all hackers must have all, all evil, all malicious packets must have the evil bit set, right? Running joke. That's an old RFC that says that. <laughs> I just think that's funny. One uh, and two. I absolutely agree with you that there is uh, a mindset uh, for a good uh, a red good red teamer. They're like they're devious, very lateral thinking, um, and they always look at people as puzzles to take apart, which is kind of just you know a little bit weird if you think about it too hard. But those are the kind of people you want to hire for that job. <laughs> Yeah, I do want to. I want to credit Alex Gantman, who who is the person who talked about the evil bit to me first. It's not my personal invention, so just have that out there. But it's oh, fantastic. Yeah. It's definitely a thing, right? This idea of, you know, we, when you think about, you know, to your point earlier, you've got to be a good sysadmin to then become someone who can dig deep into what's going on on the computers and and become a good defender or an attacker, right? And part of that is when do you stop, right? Like. Some people will stop when the, the service is up and it's running, but is it running as good as it needs to be running? Will it stay running? And all of those kinds of things. You want those folks that take it to the, it's beyond the, it's up to the, 
it's working as well as it can be. And then the how how could it stop working and how do I defend from that? And that's where you get to that evil bit place where you start thinking about there are all the things that can go wrong and how do I stop that from happening? I was going to say my first approach to every system is to ask myself, what do they want me to do? And what am I now going to do that they didn't want me to do? It's, I mean, that, that should be the first approach for anybody with any of that red team, purple team kind of mindset is what's the unexpected behavior on my part, right? That's where it starts for me. So For anybody so, who's listening who might get that, I call that the Lance Corporal effect. And if you get the joke, you get the joke. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. All right. So we talked a little bit earlier about people, not just technology, but people. The fact that purple teaming has, you know, changes and, and implications for the people. And I guess, you know, culturally, is, is there a benefit really for purple teaming with regards to how the teams interact with one another? And, and again, I'm talking about red, red, red plus blue versus purple. And, and I feel obliged to make my Barney the Dinosaur joke. We call it purple because I love you. You love me, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's huge, right? Like, I, I, I have been very careful about where I will go work in the cybersecurity space because I want to learn. I want to interact. I, I love tearing things apart, figuring out how they work, putting them back together better, right? And what I've seen is our industry has become so siloed. So this person's job is this small box. And anything out of that box, I hand to the next layer and then they look at it and they hand it to the next layer. And, and, and I, that's, I mean, I understand you've got to do a little bit of that to scale. You have to have some of that to be able to execute on, on the, the tasks at hand, you know, the floors do have to get swept. Right. But at the same time, you've got to give your people a chance to grow, to learn, to see the big picture advance without deciding to send their resume somewhere else. And so these kinds of activities allow you to take people out of their box, get them next to people they don't normally interact with, learn from them, bring new perspectives in. You get this really neat diversity of, of thought about how to attack and defend out of these activities. Everybody gets better. Your organization builds links. People then know, hey, this is a strange log. I know who to go ask about it because we did a purple team thing. And when we were doing it, Jason over there was doing something really interesting. And I bet he would look at this or Barbara is doing another thing with this. And it's like, now you have this, this thing where people are interacting across your team and it's fantastic to see it happen. I, I also think that a lot of the siloing is an outgrowth of something that was good at one point and it's kind of jumped the shark. And that's uh, role-based access. I think RBAC is a great thing. I'm not advocating for going away from RBAC. However, um, I think we translated that idea, or at least that idea was kind of already in place, and then we, we let it become part of the technical infrastructure, into this idea that one person can only make so many decisions. Um, and because, because, you know, and, you know, in this, you know, in our world, it's because of security. Like you don't want one person having all the keys to the kingdom. You know, if you kind of zoom out, go into the corporate space or kind of like the interpersonal space, which I'm, I know not many of us are all that comfortable with, except for you, Alan, you look like you do very well in conversations. Um, uh, <laughs> you have this idea of risk and you don't want one person having too much risk that they can play with. Um, and I think there, I think there is a lot of, there's a tendency for people to want less, either, you know, less risk for that they can personally affect. And there's a tendency in higher levels for them to want to consolidate that risk play higher, which is to say that you're letting fewer people do fewer things, which means you need more people to do more things. 
Um, and I think the siloing emerges naturally from that. Um, and forcing the interaction the way that we're talking about right now is really how you get away is, is really getting, you know, it's making people understand what they can do when they do cross the, you know, they cross the line on the floor, right? It's just a line on the floor, just walk across it. Um, and, you know, knowing that, you know, that, you know, Kyle over there, I can't remember the name of the person you used, uh, actually knows something about this when he, you wouldn't have known that otherwise. Um, so it, it, from a cultural standpoint, I think we are, we're, we're kind of sitting in an older mode of operation, um, that, I believe that the community at large would be happy is happy to break out of when given the opportunity. Yeah. I, I think the hacker yeah, mindset is, uh, is tear down the walls anyway. Right. <laughs> we will not yeah, comply. You, you, you kind of get it. You're kind of touching on some, some big items, right? There's a, you know, disclosure discussions, there's offensive tool discussions we could have out of this. And I don't necessarily want to touch those third rails, but uh, I will just a little bit and say, you know, this is an important thing, I think, for people to understand how these things work. And the industry sort of started off with this idea that people were magicians. The cybersecurity people were doing amazing things. You couldn't possibly understand how it works. Um, and, you know, we've built a lot of a mystique up. Um, and I think, you know, as we as we're, we've matured as a profession, it's time to tear that down and figure out how do we get more people in here doing this and share that knowledge. Um, and across those silos as well, even within this industry, we've got to, you know, the red team can't be like, woohoo, we got in, mic drop and walk away, right? You've got to find a way to fix it so that knowledge of how they got in has to has to be conveyed to the defenders and um and, and it becomes just so important for that 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 spreading of that to happen so yeah and that that brings us to a bigger cultural conversation i want to break this out and this will be the final question for the for the episode here um culturally we've got a greater business that we're all a part of right obviously the it team is down the hall and they're sort of critical players but even beyond them marketing hr whoever's throwing up websites and web apps around the company whoever's doing new SaaS deployments you know hey we sign up for a new system how does purple teaming culturally benefit the relationship between the security team and all these other entities in the business how about you gabe yeah, this is a great question, right? I think, you know, we the, over the last year, we've seen just an incredible amount of ransomware success, right? Uh, not success on our part, but success on the bad guy side. And, uh, you know, fundamentally, I think every one of those organizations had at some point someone in the key leadership roles in the business ask, are we good? Are we safe? Are we doing all the things we need to be doing? And People put their controls out there and they put their detections and they said yes. And they thought they were right, right? Like they weren't being malicious. They were, they thought that in their knowledge base, everything they thought they could do to defend their environment, they're doing. And they lost. And this is where it becomes different. You bring the defenders and the attackers together. You start simulating these things. You start thinking different about the controls you have. Sure, I've got great backups. I restore a file every week. It's always there. Okay, what happens if your catalog file is is erased? What happens if the server is gone? Um, those are things that you don't think about until you start enumerating those scenarios for the ransomware purple team activity that you do, right? And then you find all of those soft spots that, that can help you get there. 
And you can turn around to the business and all of those other folks and be able to say, you know, these are things we're, we're, you know, we're here to help the business happen, right? Like a certain amount of security and quality and all of those things is necessary for anyone to go do business anywhere, right? doesn't matter what the, what the product or our service is. It needs to be built on a, on a solid foundation. And you've got to have that link to be able to say, here's how these things that you're building on could break and how it could hurt that business. And by the way, here's where that you don't need to go any further because that's enough security for the type of business we're doing and be able to get in and simulate those things. And, you know, ultimately, once you've got really good, mature purple teams, it's time to bring them in, too. You can start opening the eyes. You have HR seeing like, oh, wow, you can pull that off of FileShare. And, oh, wait, maybe we have a, an Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of people's data on there we shouldn't have put out there. Or, you know, you, you have marketing seeing what happens with a website defacement and how easy it can be when it's set up in, improperly. And they become interested in not only can I have this up tomorrow, but can it be secure tomorrow? Right. I love it. Ben, how about your how about your thoughts on uh, on the greater cultural implications? Stepping outside of security, even stepping outside of IT, the rest of the business. What do, what do you have to add to Gabe's take on it? A lot to be said about storytelling in what we do. Um, I did a recent talk, and you know, I was talking about you know purple teaming and emulation planning as technical storytelling, um, because you know both to design a good emulation plan um, and to describe the risk of such a plan being you know actually run by a bad guy uh, it's a matter of like you know are you are you, are you a level 20 bard or not because that's how you're going to get the effect that you need okay um and when i say that i mean you know for us looking outside of infosec and it we have to talk about things that other people care about we just have to accept that uh, i learned that the hard way many times in a past life um may or may not have to do with why i'm not in that life anymore just kidding but Really, like talking to higher ups and talking to people outside of, you know, the technical um, nerd cave means that you have to talk about risk. You have to talk about business outcomes. And, you know, and, you know, for instance, like my own wife works in marketing um, and I want her to understand why certain things that are happening, you know, with, you know, things that they're doing on a website, things that they're doing, like very much like you were mentioning, why they're impactful. And every time I do, I'm like, what if somebody did this, this and this and they were able to do that? She's like, well, that would be really bad for us. I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right because you're a smart person. Um, but, you know, by the same token, you have to understand that, you know, a simple chain of events can lead to that very bad thing happening. And for us, we have to be able to tell that story better. And so if we want to talk about, you know, the purple teaming and how that impacts that, you know, I think the idea of the TTX, the tabletop exercise, I know even the even the distilled TTX, the trailer, the teaser, the stinger, whatever, the little bit of it that really just encapsulates the threat and the risk. Um, and, you know, specific to a department or a capability is something that we can and should be doing. You know, maybe we should be investing in people who can talk like like yourself, Alan. Maybe we need to hire people like you in InfoSec, right? <laughs> yeah, the storytelling aspects, for sure, uh, very close to my heart. Uh, undergrad degree in liberal arts, uh, big believer that storytelling is the main driver of everything we do in InfoSec, quite honestly. Uh, so you're, you're, definitely, uh, you're definitely preaching to the choir with that one. Uh, so, guys, we're just about out of time. Uh, very quick, very brief. Any last thoughts to sort of close this out on purple teaming? I'll start with you, Gabe. Yeah, so I, I think it's something every organization should be, be, be beginning. The investment in the time is it pays huge rewards. Um, you can do it in small chunks. You don't have to convert everything. 
Um, so you can really baby step your way into it and you're going to get good benefits. Of course, I'm a firm believer that the getting the everyone talking to everyone makes you much more, much stronger. But I think there's a lot of opportunity to get in and start. Um, so go out and do it. I love it. <laughs> ben, how about you? I think the chance for people to get out there and make a point about what, the, you know, about what's specific to them, what's what they're good at in InfoSec is is a huge huge benefit to this process. Uh, it's in finding the ways to enable and uh, accelerate all the people you have um, and giving them the chance to get good um, and, you know, and provide and do good for the company while they're at it. So I, I it's, you know, 360 win. I don't know. Yep. I, I would add that it's not just about them getting to do what they're good at and, and fitting that into a greater architecture. It's about them learning what the other guys are good at too. There's, there's so much inherent cross training to me with purple teaming that I, I value that aspect of it as well. Absolutely agree. Well, gentlemen, Gabe Lawrence, Ben Opal, thank you so much for uh, joining us here on our fireside chat. Thank you all in the audience and y'all be good now. Take care. Thanks y'all. Hope you all enjoyed that session. Before we hop into our next round, let's take another break. This one's sponsored by our friends at Microsoft. See you in a few.